Hello, my name is Charlotte Brewer and in this short talk I'm going to describe one of the language research projects at Oxford University's English faculty that I'm involved in. It's about Shakespeare and the Oxford English Dictionary and if you're thinking of applying for our new MSD in English language it will give you some idea of the sort of work you can do on this course. The project is on Shakespeare and neologisms, the technical term for a newly coined word or expression, and it sets out to investigate the degree to which we are right in thinking that Shakespeare was an unmatched inventor of new words, that in the history of the use of the English language he created more new words than anyone else. The evidence for this assumption largely derives from the Oxford English Dictionary, so I'm going to start by sketching out some of the history of that dictionary to explain why and how we need to be very careful in evaluating its testimony. As everyone knows, the Oxford English Dictionary, or OED as it's generally abbreviated, was one of the great endeavours of Victorian and Edwardian scholarship. It was conceived in the late 1850s, outside Oxford in fact, by a body called the London Philological Society. Then it was established in Oxford in 1878 and brought to fruition many years later in 1928, uh, after a long and occasionally very bumpy ride. Now the OED's method what makes it utterly distinctive as a dictionary is simple enough to state, uh, if extraordinarily ambitious. Its editors set out to read through as many printed works as possible from all periods of the English language, then extract quotations from these works showing how words have been used from their earliest occurrence to their latest, and then deduce from these quotations the senses of words as manifested through their history. No other English language dictionary before or since had set out to do anything of the sort, and that's why it's such a unique, that's why the OED is such a unique and uniquely authoritative dictionary. Now, to do this, to read through all these works, of course, the lexicographers, that's the technical term for dictionary makers, had to enlist hundreds of volunteers. And together, editors and volunteers used texts of all kinds to establish when a word came into the language and what it meant. Letters, diaries, histories, newspapers, works relating to arts, sciences, commerce, crafts and so on, as well as literary texts, poems, novels, plays and so on. Overall, however, there was a strong literary bias. This was due partly to the superior availability of literary texts for all periods and partly to the predominant view in the late 19th century, uh, which was around both, both before then and, and still prevails to some extent today, that literature had an especially formative role in creating and preserving the nation's language, so that the OED's chief editor, James Murray, named quote, all the great English writers of all ages, end quote, as his principal quotation sources. Of course, this literary bias was only one of many biases which richly characterise this incomparably authoritative dictionary, biases relating to race, class, gender, all sorts of social phenomena. There are lots of cultural assumptions enshrined in the OED's choice of quotations and their formulation of definitions, which of course is quite natural when you think of the period in which the dictionary was created, uh, the Victorian and Edwardian period, uh, when there were all sorts of assumptions about race, class, uh, sex, gender, etc., which we would now think of as distinct cultural prejudices, prejudices, that, for example, men were intellectually superior to women, that England and Western civilization was superior to Oriental or African civilizations, and so on. 
Where Shakespeare was concerned, there also seems to have been a clear cultural or literary bias. Almost every word attributed to Shakespeare got into the dictionary in quotations in one way or another, sometimes several times over. And this virtually comprehensive treatment was not meted out to any other writer or text of any period, and it follows inevitably that the original OED will have exaggerated the significance and extent of Shakespeare's contribution to the language. That's also true of the second edition. Uh, now, this was published in 1989, but it didn't update any of the pre-1800 material. And that means that new words of the late 16th and early 17th centuries, if used by Shakespeare, would have been more likely to have been found by the lexicographers in his writing than in that of other authors who were less closely trawled. Uh, hence, Shakespeare, rather than anyone else, will have been recorded by OED as their first user. And also Shakespeare's once-off usages, that's made-up words which didn't catch on in the language for whatever reason, uh, these words too will also have been more likely to get into the OED than those created by other writers of the time. All this has been known about for some time, but there has been very little that anyone can have done about it. There is simply no rival to OED as a historical record of the use of words. Uh, and the OED's treatment of Shakespeare inescapably has been extraordinarily influential on histories of the language and on studies and editions of Shakespeare's works. You'll all be familiar with the asterisks and other notations found in editions of Shakespeare's plays which are used by editors to point out the words and senses in Shakespeare that according to OED are unique or are the first recorded example. OK, so although the second edition of the OED didn't do anything new to the pre-1800 record, it did mark the digitalisation of OED. So this was very useful in allowing one to see much more clearly the extent of Shakespeare's dominance in the dictionary, because it now for the first time could be reliably quantified. In its dig digital form, it's possible to search OED electronically in lots of ways which tell you how the dictionary was put together. Shakespeare was cited, it turns out, around 33 1,300 times. That's more than twice as many quotations as the next cited author, Walter Scott, and much more than Chaucer, the Bible, Milton, and so on. And altogether, OED has Shakespeare down as first user of around 2,000 lexemes. That's a useful linguistic term which can be applied to the item of vocabulary recorded in the headword of a dictionary's entry, and it avoids counting different forms of the same word, such as plurals or varying verb forms twice over. Now, given that Shakespeare's entire recorded word stock comes to something under 20,000 lexemes, um, this finding is on the face of it quite breathtaking. OED's evidence suggests that one in every ten of Shakespeare's lexemes was a new usage, a proportion matched by no other post-medieval writer whose usage is intensively recorded in the OED. So the question is, are these numbers and proportions in OED a just reflection of Shakespeare's contribution to the language, or do they rather reflect the cultural values of the lexicographers? Well, it must be the latter, but if so, to what extent? Well, now that OED is for the first time in its history undergoing revision, it's possible to begin to clarify the answer to this question. This long overdue revision of the first edition began to be released online in 2000 and it so far covered around a third of the alphabet and is transforming every element of the dictionary as it, go as it goes. In particular, um, it, 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 there are lots of differences which are uh, being introduced into the new OED because of the new textual evidence that the lexicographers have access to via electronic databases of historical texts um, which are put online 
um, works published in the 18th century, 16th century, the 17th century, 18th century collections online, early English books online, names of the databases. So all this new textual evidence uh, available of the language of all periods of the language uh, is all, all periods of the history of the language is enabling a complete reanalysis of the history and development of a word in its senses. So the million dollar question is, is Shakespeare's reputation as linguistic innovator par excellence in the English language going to be sustained, increased or undermined? Well, it's very difficult to work this out because of the way that OED presents its information. Uh, the new version uh, online has fantastic search tools um, but this text, which is the only way we can access the revision as it proceeds, uh, is merged together with the old text. Additionally, OED is now using different conventions on dating and on selection of headword for an entry and various other things. So th all these differences between the way that OED used to re represent its material and the way it does it now makes it very difficult to compare like with like. Uh, nevertheless, if you s use the search tools ingeniously and pore over the results, you can work out that the OED revisers are anti-dating about a third of the words previously attributed by OED to Shakespeare. Some have been found uh, now in contemporary writers OED didn't previously write or cite properly, uh, like Marston or Nash. Some can now be traced back as far as Old English. But despite this substantial loss, uh, Shakespeare is still by far the most prolific coiner of new words as recorded by the OED. And what's more, rather extraordinarily, the OED revisers are actually finding new neologisms in Shakespeare, i.e. ones they didn't recall before. And this is mostly because they are reanalyzing his language to find more compounds than before. So when Adonis, in Shakespeare's poem Venus and Adonis, describes life, describes love as a life in death, the first edition lexicographers understood the phrase syntactically, but their modern-day descendants have construed it as a single word, anticipating Coleridge's ancient mariners, the nightmare life in death was she. Uh, and this new word, life in death, all in one, uh, now merits its own entry, with Shakespeare recorded as the first user and Coleridge as the second. There are quite a few examples of this sort of thing, uh, some of which tell us new things about Shakespeare's apparently neologistic interest in phrases like old lad and old son, for which he is now the first recorded in OED. Um, and then there are other uh, bits of evidence which show that he uh, appears to have been very innovative in his use of compounds beginning with never, never surfeited, never erring, never withering, etc., where he time after time is the first recorded user. And interestingly, the neologism rate for different plays looks as if it's changing. Love's Labour's Lost, for example, which famously is full of words which appear to have been made up and used for the first time, um, according to the OED, uh, the, 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 the OED revision, um, quite a lot of these words turn out in fact to have been used previously. Uh, and that's in contrast to, to Hamlet, also, uh, uh, according to the OED originally, um, full of neologisms. But Hamlet in the revision has lost less, less of its neologisms than Love's Labour's Lost. Now, there are lots of methodological and conceptual questions which remain um, or indeed turned up by this sort of study, um, looking intensely at uh, one uh, version of the OED and comparing it with the, the new revised version. Um, and, and one of the interesting questions that arises is um, that of the, the value of neologisms. Are some more interesting than others? Um, 
Is that because uh, some have been more readily accepted into the language and some haven't? Uh, so is Shakespeare's use of the verb panda uh, in, in Hamlet more interesting because it still, still survives today? Or, or is it, in fact, um, equally or more interesting that he uses words like conceptious in Hamlet, which have been virtually never used since then? But whatever conclusions uh, we ultimately draw from analyses of this sort, of the ways in which OED is developing, it's easy to see that this new revision, OED3, is changing the lexical landscape so far as Shakespeare is concerned. And this is highly significant because it, because it is OED whose testimony we, we turn to when making literary judgments about words and texts. We always need to look at what OED's uh, evidence is on the meaning of a word and its uh, status in the language of its time. If you decide to apply for our new language MSD and you're successful, then one of the things you'll be able to do is to look further into how OED is being revised and how, in general, Oxford University Press, that's the publishing company, goes about making dictionaries. Uh, that's because Oxford University Press will be offering internships to two of our students every year. And you'll also, just as part of your normal coursework, be able to conduct research into the OED's treatment of specific periods in the history of the language and specific authors, or indeed how it treats particular categories of language or culture cultural phenomena of whatever kind. Uh, thanks for listening and I hope this has given you an insight both into language research here at Oxford and into the types of study you can pursue on the language MST.